Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. We want you to know that during COVID, we're holding one big service outdoors and we'd love for you to join us whenever you can. And now, here's our teaching for this week. We hope it leads you to encounter the way of Jesus more fully. Well, hi, everybody. I'm Britt. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new to our podcast or watching online, I want to say welcome back to all of our Sunridgers. And uh, if, if you're just new to Sunridge, again, I've introduced myself Uh, We are a church that uh, is trying to help people both find and follow Jesus. So we're a great place for you to explore faith if if that's where you're at. And uh, we're also a place that if you're looking for a church where you can connect and sink your roots deep, where we seek to be a great place for that as well. I'm pre-recording this message during the week before it posts on Sunday, uh, because we have chosen intentionally as a church not to meet indoors in large gatherings because we love this community and we're concerned about uh, our public health and safety. Uh, So uh, what we are doing uh, is we're having one big service outdoors on Sunday. And if you're new to the community or you're looking for a church, just wanna let you know about that. All you need to do is bring a mask and a chair and uh, we'd love for you to join us then. Um, If you do come and you're new, I would love to meet you. So please say hello to me. I love meeting uh, new people in our community. And I have to say that uh, this is, even though we we wanna be inside right now uh, in our building and utilizing this beautiful asset that God has given us, um, it has been especially poignant to me to be teaching through the Sermon on the Mount Uh, outside, and I'm sure you get that. Uh, That's where we are. If you're uh, just joining us, we're going to drop right into Matthew's gospel, chapter 5 and verse 33. Jesus says again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. If you were to Google uh, how to tell if someone is lying, which I did uh, for this message, Uh, You would read a lot about uh, paying attention to facial expressions and eye movement, uh, body language, which way your hands face when you're putting up your hands. Uh, We're either hiding ourselves or being open. Uh, The words we use being fidgety, defensive. And what you'll find if you just keep reading is that all of those signs can be helpful. But uh, the truth is that some people are very good at being untruthful. So there is no foolproof way to tell if someone is, t- is telling the truth. The truth is sometimes we can even convince ourselves that 
a lie is the truth. I mean, how many of us didn't years ago buy the Flowbee thinking it was going to give us a great haircut? So we are in this section of Matthew's gospel that is called the Sermon on the Mount. It is the manifesto of Jesus. He's laying down a picture of what it means to follow him and what it means to live as a citizen in his kingdom, which is the language that he uses. And each of the things that we've been looking at in this section are foundational values to human relationships. Each of these address how we can enhance or corrode our relationship with God and, of course, with other human beings. We've looked at anger and contempt and adultery and divorce. And today we're going to talk about telling the truth. And in verse 33, Jesus says this uh, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Simply put, Jesus says, when you make an oath or a vow, keep it. That's all you have to do. Nothing wrong with that, right? And yet this part of Jesus's sermon, uh, scholars have called the six antitheses. That is the opposites. This is number four. And each one is uh, uh, begins with Jesus saying, you have heard that it was said, but I say. So in other words, I'm going to say something that is the opposite. But it it makes you wonder, how could Jesus take issue with this particular thing that was being taught? To understand, we need a little historical and biblical background. And that's what I want to jump into now. Um, historical, Historical and biblical background of oaths and swearing. And these are in your notes. Number one, Jesus is not quoting any specific law from Torah, which is uh, might be a new word to you. It is Old Testament law, but combining different statements. In other words, this is different than the way he talked about anger and contempt, adultery or divorce. Uh, In each case, in each of those cases, Jesus is specifically quoting something from the Torah, but here he's mashing up different passages that deal with swearing and oaths, like Exodus 27, do not misuse the name of the Lord, or Leviticus 19.12, do not swear falsely. And so we see both in, in history and in what we have as the Old Testament that there's a practice of vowing that appears as culture forms. And we still are vowing and oathing and swearing. What is, what is up with that? Why was there a need for us to make oaths or to vow. Both in the Old Testament and in our time, vowing amplified the credibility of what was said or promised. Vows were commonly used religiously in business transactions. Of course, in court, we're most familiar with that. And they were used legitimately and illegitimately. A few examples. Some are so explicit and blatant, the the illegitimate use of a vow. And you find as you read through the prophets that they often are condemning the out and out using of an oath to lie. And and the effect of that is to have an unjust justice system. In Isaiah 5, 20 verses, verse 20 through 23, Isaiah says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness, 
who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, who acquit the guilty for a bribe, but deny justice to the innocent. And the picture here is obviously a court scene. And in that situation, someone uh, for their own purposes would offer a bribe and then vow and be supported by those in the justice system that they bribed that something happened that did not or something did not happen that did. And this was obviously, uh, you know, performed by those who had privilege or pride or power or money or all of them. But there are other examples of amplifying the credibility of what's being said when it really wasn't true that are less stark. And here's here's an example, uh, not from scripture, but just from history and scenarios that could happen. Say a dispute occurs between two neighbors and they're both farmers one farmer's farming implement ends up missing. And maybe he doesn't really like his farming neighbor. Maybe they've had disputes and problems in the past before. So he obviously is going to suspect that neighbor that maybe he took it, um, even though he actually didn't see him take it. But he just knows, he just knows that it was that guy that took it. So he goes to the elders and he accuses his neighbor he says, I saw him do it. And he will, he will say something like, by all is holy, I swear to God that I saw it. And because it's his word against his neighbors, this, this uh, bringing in or implementing a, a vow, an oath, gives extra power to what he's saying. And he's using God's name here to make his claim more believable even though he's lying. He might be out and out lying, or he might just kind of believe it in his heart because of his animosity toward that person and just, you know, oh, I know that he did it. And then he's working his land uh, a week later and he discovers the implement and realizes that his younger son left it in the field. His dilemma here is that he's made a vow He's made an oath. He swore to God that something was true, that it wasn't. And now he's accountable to God for this oath. Ironically, in all of these instances, these are God-fearing people, but they also want what they want. So they don't want to be accountable to God. So they have to find a way around this accountability that comes with an oath, but still gain their ends. Isn't it encouraging to you to see that as far back as even the Bible stories, that human beings are so adaptive and genius to work around? What what is happening here? Well, what's happening is, and this is the third uh, uh, part of your notes, people had perfected loophole swearing. Does that make sense? A loophole means to cheat the system. It's a way to technically follow the rules, but not actually. Uh, Not just for appearance sake, obviously that's obvious, but also for their own conscience. They were trying to find ways to swear, but not have it be binding. Jesus confronts this with a few specific examples right here in Matthew's gospel. 
In verse 34, he says, I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. What was happening here is that people were swearing by something lesser, by heaven, by the earth, by the holy city, by the hair on their own head. It was something a little less damning in case they got it wrong or they were lying, but it enabled them to keep the God thing in play, but not really. Do you think that that really works? I don't think so. But it does tell you what was most important to them when they were using this oath. And what Jesus is doing here is he is dismantling those loopholes. He says that heaven, when you swear by it, that is God's throne. And if you swear by earth, that is his footstool. And Jerusalem is his holy hometown. And even your head doesn't belong to you. In other words, there's nothing you can swear on that avoids God. In fact, not even you belong to you. Later in Matthew's gospel, uh, Jesus takes the Pharisees to task for these swearing loopholes. In Matthew 23, verse 16, he says, Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. In other words, Jesus says, you guys are ridiculous. And what's interesting about this is that it indicates that this is an accepted practice. Jesus is not uncovering something that they didn't know. He's bringing out something that is part of their day-to-day lives, and they've lived comfortably with it. That's super interesting to me. All of this leads to questions, questions like, what really counts? What must I do in order to be believable? Is there something extra I have to do? And I think that these are all the wrong questions. I think that Jesus is weighing in on this distortion, the distortion of where's the line for me on the whole truthfulness thing? Like how far up against it can I get? Because I need to know so I can find my comfort zone of what I truly have to stick with and and where and when I can take my mulligan on the big picture of swearing. Let's look at the big picture first. The antitheses that Jesus addresses are all efforts to create a more comfortable religion. Do you see that? What we've been looking at in these opposite statements that Jesus makes is is you can hear human beings asking these questions. How How can I be 
angry and bitter and hold people in contempt that are around me, but still feel great about my worship of God? How can I commit adultery? How far can I go on the line of lust? How can I satisfy my lust but remain faithful and be uh, an infidelity in my relationship? On divorce, how can I dispense with a woman who no longer pleases me but still follow the rules so I have the honor and respect in our community? And here on swearing, how can I appear respectable but work the system to my advantage? I think at this point, rather than looking at the historical and uh, biblical background, it's a good time for us to move from they to us. I mean, the lesson here can't just be, boy, they sure had a lot of problems back then, didn't they? I think that once more, Jesus is exposing something about us that is universally true. It has been true throughout all the ages, which is interesting about the teachings of Jesus, right? And what the Bible brings us today, how so relatable and applicable it is. But these things that are universally true are still corroding our relationship with God, and our relationship with one another. Now let's move from like the big picture and zoom in close up. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at. We can be comfortable living in ways that are untruthful with each other. We can be comfortable living in ways that are untruthful with each other. See, the essence of loophole swearing is appearance, selfishness, self-centeredness, and spin. It's a way to invoke God into getting what we want. And you know, Jesus' solution to loophole swearing and untruthfulness is really simple. He says, number one, a simple yes or no will do. Verse 37, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus says that our word should just be our word. You don't, I don't need to swear. I don't need the pinky swear. And, you know, remember here, he is addressing religious people religious people and their practices. And he says, he tells us where falsity and lying and manipulation come from. He says they come from the evil one. So in other words, when I am involved in manipulation or spin, I am under the influence of the evil one. The evil one perfected spin in the garden. If you read in Genesis 3, you'll find that the serpent is referred to as being crafty. His questions are, did God really say, or oh no, you won't die, not in that way. And even God knows. And in each one of those sayings or things that the serpent says to Eve, they each have a little bit of truth in them, don't they? 
It's not, they're not explicitly false, which is where all the danger is. Jesus says a simple yes or no will do. And secondly, he says, you shouldn't even have a need for oaths. Verse 34, but I tell you, do not swear at all. Now, thus far, in these antitheses, Jesus has never really contradicted the Torah. He's, you know, expanded and brought in heart and helped us understand the intent of the things that were being said. But here, uh, you know, and this is debated, it does appear like he's even breaking from this practice because he says, you don't need to swear. There's no need for an oath. Well, except for one reason, right? Why did people need to swear or make oaths then? Why do we need to do so today to put emphasis on our words? Well, because people lie. They always have and they always will. And people have a hard time keeping their word when it becomes hard to do so. And to that, Jesus says, All you need to say is simply yes or no. Now, how do we respond to that in almost the close of 2020? It's not really brain surgery here. The Bible is very simple. Sometimes it's complicated in understanding the culture and understanding how the hearers may have heard it. And we have all these ways of figuring those things out. And sometimes we can't, but in the end, in the end, the truths and the principles are pretty simple. And that's the case here. Responding to this is number one, and this is in your notes, to tell the truth. Tell the truth. How's that for profound doctrine? Let's be honest about being dishonest, okay? It's just you and me. We lie to get our way. We lie to hurt others. We lie to keep ourselves from being hurt or to avoid consequences. And we lie to make ourselves look better than we are. Oh, well, maybe I don't lie, but we pose, we embellish. The fish gets bigger and bigger as the years go by. Our glory days become even more glorious. We drop names, we soft lens our issues, We airbrush our flaws, but we place stark lighting on others. And we use God and God talk to advantage ourselves. We represent ourselves as amazingly committed followers of Jesus. We're so respectable at church and in our community and in our conversations. We may not swear to God, but we'll use religious sounding words to amplify what good Christians we are. We'll say things like, well, God told me, or I prayed about it, or I had a dream, or I have peace, or even sometimes we say the Bible says, and these are all valid and legitimate things to say, but often we use them in a much like an oath or a vow to amplify the credibility of what we're saying. And well, you might as well talk about this since we're talking about telling the truth. We can carelessly pass on information that is not truthful. 
which by the way is the same as not telling the truth. As I was uh, getting ready for this message, I was talking to Cindy about like the early 90s. That's the 1990s, not the 1890s, by the way, for all of you in your 20s. Um, and there was a rumor going around about the company Procter & Gamble, which makes all kinds of stuff. And uh, I don't know if they still do, but on the um, their logo was a moon and stars. And there was this rumor going around that Procter & Gamble, because of that logo, offered all of their products up to Satan. And... You know, there's two things about that. One, it's such a ridiculous claim. And then two, it was being perpetuated by Christians that we knew. We can carelessly pass on information that is not truthful. And, and let's just be honest, like we're still doing that sometimes. Christians. I mean, how many Christians are still, still calling into question Barack Obama's birth. I know some of you are going to get mad at me here. Some of you might even already be mad. But we have just experienced a brutal election season. And of course, in elections, untruths are always present. But doesn't it seem like it was even more so in this one, maybe because our passions are higher, rightly, rightfully so in many cases. Uh, but I think that social media has helped both truth and untruths to proliferate in a way as never before. And there are things that are simply not true that we as Christians, modern evangelicals, have passed on that have come from our political party or our cable news, from websites or a pundit we follow, and really we haven't corroborated it. Let's just be honest. They, we pass them along because they agree, we agree with them. You know that Exodus 20, 16 says that you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor? Let's let that sink in on all of us because, by the way, that's one of the Ten Commandments. And how much have we passed on about people that isn't true? That is giving false testimony against our neighbors. Aren't we called to follow the truth even when it doesn't fit our preferred narrative? I found myself through this season asking often, is that true when I see and hear things or are told things? And I'm, 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 I'm constantly trying to avoid the temptation of saying, is that really true? Because there is no difference, right? It's either true or what is, what is really true? And here's my concern. I think that culture is affecting Christianity today. And truth is at risk in an unprecedented way. Many of us are finding ourselves becoming part of the tsunami of false information that is misleading people. Or we are just simply giving up in despair. 
to be honest, I've never seen a time when I see even Christian leaders passing on information or theories that are wildly unsubstantiated and clearly untrue. I've never seen a time when I sense so much despair in Christians about even finding the truth. Today, we find ourselves, in my opinion, so shaken in our ability to believe in people, to believe in our leaders, to believe in America, our neighbor, one another. It seems we are suspicious of everyone. Toward that end, I wanna mention a few things. Number one, there is truth. There is only one truth. Now, deception is another thing that Jesus deals with in the Sermon on the Mount, but this idea that you have your truth, I have my truth, is totally irrational. Now, let me explain before anyone jumps to conclusions. I'm not talking about how to solve an issue. We debate issues all day long, but I am talking about when something is clearly true. There's only one truth. Secondly, Christians, we have a responsibility to seek the truth. We, uh, we find ourselves listening to our favorite politician, our party, um, and just remember that often they say things to stay in office, to win for their side. We find ourselves exposing ourselves and our minds to cable news, which, can I remind you, is a for-profit business, and they know their market. And some of us are finding our truths on social media, which if you've seen uh, The Social Dilemma, you know that social media feeds us what, we, what it knows we want to hear. So we're only getting our side of it. And that could be totally untrue. I've struggled, as, as probably you have, during this season where we just don't have confidence in anything. And so one of the things that I did is I subscribed to two newspapers online. I, it's not the ultimate answer, but it's really helped me through this process. I subscribed to a, what is considered a liberal newspaper, and I subscribed to one that is considered conservative. I don't, I mean, the truth is the truth, but like it has been interesting to read these different perspectives, but it truly has helped me to distance myself from these other sources. And I feel more grounded, honestly. We have a responsibility to seek the truth. Thirdly, as Christians, we are called to stand by the truth, whether it works for us or not. Can I remind you that prophets in the Old Testament often withstood kings, people with power, not Priests or Levites, although our Levitical priests, they, they withstood them at times as well. But we find them calling out kings. Nathan went to David. Samuel went to Saul. And I often think of like how, how brave that was of them. 
and how they must have wrestled with that, not just like, should I say something or not, but like what the cost would be to them when they did. We contribute to the undermining of truth when we note the falsehoods that only suit our preference. And I'm afraid that Christians are losing our independence from the system. I want to remind you that as a Christian, we live according to another king. That's why Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians, chapter 3, verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. This isn't just like, don't be a liar. Paul is saying that we have a higher calling. We, we are not part of that old life. There's something new in us. Paul also said that we're a new creation. And I know that if you're listening to this podcast or watching online and you're not a Christian and you've watched the evangelical movement waver in this way, you may have been so frustrated by us and I apologize to you in those instances where we got it wrong, where we just made a mistake or where we were intentionally fighting for our side. We are called to stand by the truth, whether it works for us or not. And then lastly, don't be that Christian that gets mad when someone tells you the truth or when they call you out on that which isn't true, whether it's your friend or a spouse or a neighbor or some random stranger or even your pastor. As Christians, we must seek the truth, accept the truth, tell the truth, and be careful that we're passing on the truth. We have to tell the truth. Secondly, second takeaway of how to respond to what Jesus has said here is we must live the truth. We have to live the truth, even if it costs us our time, our energy, costs us financially, our reputation. And I promise you, living the truth will cost you. There are many rewards, but it will cost you. I think we are living in a time when we think we are spiritual because we talk a good game. And toward that end, I want to encourage us as believers to live up to our word to not be two-faced and say self-righteous things when we really don't live it. Don't seek out loopholes and stop finding a reason why we can't keep our word or to be honest. And when someone calls you out, own it. Live the truth. Seek to live in an intentional way that is truthful. Press into honesty and faithfulness. When we say that we, our mission here is to find and follow Jesus, following Jesus means to sit at his feet and know him, to seek to emulate who he was, who he is, and to do what he did. Truth-telling and truth-living are necessary for us to do that, and they are vital to human flourishing. We've been talking about how each one of these things that Jesus addresses is vital for human beings to be able to flourish together. Society 
is held together by honesty and integrity, the reliability of leaders and our friends and our family and everything that we value depends on it. As goes the honesty of a culture, so goes the culture. And without honesty, the culture breaks down. So truth is the glue that holds civilization together. And we are living in a time in which the world is so broken that we need the light of Jesus to shine in this world so desperately. And as disciples of Jesus, we are called to that end. And we have been given such a great opportunity to stand independently as Jesus followers and interdependently together by living the way of Jesus. And it can be as simple as telling and living the truth. Now, I'm aware that some of you are watching or listening to this message and you have never committed your heart or your soul to Jesus. And maybe someone just pointed you to one of our messages and you're listening and you're exploring faith. I want to say to you that in this way that God invites us to live in in the light of his truth. And that truth is that we are all broken. We are all susceptible to being untruthful, to being deceived by falsehoods. And these are just one of the many ways in which we need to be restored by a loving God who sent his son, Jesus. And he can restore you. If you in this moment are convinced that you need to turn from the way that you've been living and you, you, you say, I want to know Jesus. There's a place if you're watching online that you can raise your hand. You can put it in our chat. You can call us. You can reach out to us and get more information. But we want to help you explore what faith is in Jesus. And it's very simple to release our hold on our lives and our self-centered ways and hand that over to Jesus in acknowledgement that we can't do it without him. We would love to help you find your way in that. I want to pray. So if you're a person of faith and you're watching or you're just listening, uh, I pray that my words would be your words, that you would join me. God, for those that are listening and hearing and are on the edge of leaping into faith, I pray that your spirit would nudge them and that that person that's invited them or that, that, uh, that they have available to talk to them, that they, they would just open up to them and say, I'm, I'm interested. I, I want to know more. And I pray that even if they're just driving right now or watching from home and they're ready to commit themselves themselves to faith, that they would just do it right now in a simple prayer. For those of us that have done that, God, I pray that you would drive deep in our heart the need to be truthful, to seek the truth and accept the truth as it is and to stand for the truth so that our light might shine for your namesake. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. If you need help or you have questions, Uh, You can reach us here at Sundridge by email, by just uh, emailing info at sundridgechurch.org. Or if you'd like to know more about our church or just explore who we are as a church, you can just go to our website, sundridgechurch.org, 
and you can, you, you'll know what to do from there. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Uh, if we can help you in any way, please reach out to us and join us this Sunday for our one big outdoor service. Thank you. Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need help with something, if you have a question or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. Or if you'd like to know more about us, just go to our website, sunridgechurch.org, and you'll know what to do from there. We hope you'll listen in again next week. But in the meantime, wherever you go, deepen faith, bring hope, and live love.